If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blubbity Blah. The Blubbity Blah. Sending out good vibes. Blubbity Blah. Good vibes. Blubbity Blah. Good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. Underneath breaths of deep gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection. And put on a didgeridoo and shamanic drumming track. Shivers or vibrations and stuff like that. I think you might be talking about beneath the step pyramid, which they have only just reopened, and it's where they'd found like 40,000 of these just exquisite sort of machine uh, lathe-turned stone vases made from some of the hardest types of stone on the on the planet. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting with Ben Van Kirkwick, uh, of course, from the, the famous YouTube channel Uncharted X. Uh, does a great job over there with his Egypt stuff. You know, probably one of the best channels out there for ancient mysteries, uh, ancient modern technology in Egypt and like the drill holes and a lot of 4K footage and uh, just all around great guy who we've been lucky enough to get to know over the last, uh, well, really over the last year when we started to meet him. You met, because you, you met him too, right? He was there in the fall. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then we're going to see him again here later on in this episode. We talk about, uh, contemplate him coming to Utah. And then he just, uh, texted me the other day and said he will be there. Um, and there is, I think, one or two spots left for that event. So if you want to come and hang out with, um, Graham and I and Brandon Powell and Dave Matheson and, Russ and a whole bunch of cool people. Yeah, Russ and Kyle Allen from the Brothers of the Serpent. And I know for sure Brad will be there from Cosmographia. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's great. And uh now of course Ben from Uncharted X is gonna be there as well. And a bunch of a bunch of other super cool people. Uh I think we did like fifty or sixty percent of the people that went last year or came back this year. We did add an extra day. And uh, so, yeah, there's two spots left for that. If you're if you're interested in that, don't fuck around. Go over to Contact at the Cabin. Check that out. And that's like the, the middle place where we're staying in Duck Creek there. It's uh, it's between uh, Zion and, and Bryce, right? So we do like one day at Bryce and one day at Zion. And a flex day where people and a flex can do day. whatever they want. Yeah. They can hang around or we'll probably offer a shuttle to each of the national parks if they want to go do that. Try another trail at one of them. Um, and that's at the end of April. Yeah, or they can just, you know, there's a bunch of stuff to do around there. There's there's uh, off-road vehicles you can rent just up the road if people want to go do that and try out some trails. I mean, I, I'm back and forth because it would be pretty cool to grab one of those side-by-sides and go ripping off into the mountains. It'd be pretty gnarly, but I think I want to do the hiking. So I, I doesn't look like I could do Angel's Pass because you need, I, I went to do the permit and it was all like, Looking for July already, so. Oh, my God. There's, like, a lottery, but it looks like uh, Garth, friend of shout out to Garth, has a, might have some buddies that are, are already have it lined up to do the West Rim, so I might just go do that with them instead. Or I might go rent a side-by-side and go ripping through the woods. Uh, we'll see. Remains to be seen. We'll have some pools there for the cold training. 
of course, and we'll go and see the stars over Bryce Canyon. This is, uh, you know, our flagship event, really. It's because, uh, like, the Randall event's sort of taken on a life of their own. So I'd say this is our third, no, this is our second crack at this. Um, it'll be the first one we've done two of, I guess. It's not a Randall event, and it's guaranteed we'll be back for third and fourth ones of these because uh, it's a fan favorite. And uh, Dave loves it. And the stars are fee fucking nominal. So check it out. There's only two spots left for Montana in June with Randall Carlson as well. Only two spots left. That was filled up and I added two rooms and then those filled up right away. Uh, Snake mom and snake dad are coming to that. The stash and snake mom are coming. So that'll be a party too. Uh, as we tour it up through Idaho and Montana. And, uh, yeah. And then there's, of course, a couple Scablands tours in the fall. Egypt, I think, is full. But we're just going to keep... If you haven't played, paid your Egypt deposit yet, that's the only way to secure your spot. I think the last time I checked, there was already, like, 47 or 49 deposits paid. Wow, yeah, yeah. But there's, like, 75 people on the list. So just something to bear in mind. Um well, we might end up taking a couple more for that. We're contemplating what to do because there might be more interest than we think. And the hosts are saying, now, you know, you might be able to fit in a couple more. So we'll see what happens. But go sign up. If you haven't paid the deposit, pay the deposit because um, that's the only way you know you're going is if you pay that deposit. Contact at thecabin.com. There's a link down at the bottom of the page for that Egypt stuff as well. Um, but I'm assuming like the Egypt won't be an annual. So the, the Egypt will be more of an every two or three years type thing. Probably. I mean, we'll see who knows. It gets crazy fast around here. Check that out. Contact at the cabin.com. What you got? Uh, I don't know. Gratefulness. Mm-hmm. Gratitude, you know? Yeah. Of the listeners and everybody who supports the show and, Rather show outlawed and you know able to sort of give this try and give this a go for a job. I mean it's it's uh, it's been an interesting go. Got us. I hit a milestone. Fourteen years. Of being short. Yeah, fourteen years. No, I've been short more than that ever since eighty six when I didn't grow. It was eighty six the year where you're like, yep, this is it. Well, the doctor <laughs> still gave you hope. It's like, hey, you might you know you might have a spurt when you're nineteen or twenty, but. You were going to the doctor about it? Yeah. About yeah. your height? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, just to see. I think it was just, it might have been just a checkup or whatever. Did they have you doing any exercises to stretch? No. Like, no. you should have hung from your ankles more. I know, you wonder, eh? No, I don't care. I don't I don't have a problem with size or height or anything. Anymore. It doesn't bother me. Anymore. No, I never did, really. No, it's been uh, 14 years clean and sober. Out of boy, I'm yeah. at 15 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> is there a 15 minute chip? No, 24 hour. I could get that one. Yeah, I could save a bunch of those up. <laughs> Just one know. hour at a time, one minute at a time. Then I'll trade them on a 24 hour chip for some free weed. <laughs> is that all you got for the show this week? Or no, I got uh, I got uh, an email. From some feedback from last week's show with actually we're sort of I think we're shadow banned on Instagram. It's, it's Instagram's getting really weird with uh, after that Svetlana. We had no traction on our Svetlana post for on Instagram. It's fine, really weird. 
Really? Maybe it's the hashtags. Maybe I should just take all those hashtags out, you know? Yeah, I'm not a, much of a hashtagger. The only time I'll ever use a hashtag is if I'm trolling it. Yeah. Because I want to get my content out to the people I'm trolling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good point. I mean, otherwise, who's who's really searching those hashtags, right? I mean, especially on Instagram. So it might just be like a trigger for them to, to slow you down or, you know. Oh, yeah. I could imagine the hashtags you're putting in. Yeah, that's a terrible idea. Terrible idea. Like hashtag deep state, hashtag CIA, hashtag fucking planet. Parallel society, vaccine injury. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That'll get you shadow, man. Just keep those out of there. The only time you should use a hashtag is if you're trolling that hashtag is my. my That's your your rule. So I do have a great email. um, Or unless you're doing like an audio, maybe a hashtag audiobook. Yeah, well, I don't even, I don't do that really, actually. Even. I don't do them on those. It's usually just for the show. Just the ones that'll get you in trouble? Yeah. That's clever. So we had a great show with Svetlana about uh, parallel health systems and uh, sort of a holistic approach to health systems. And I got some feedback here. Because we were talking in the interview about uh, CBC and sort of like what happened to the mainstream. So do you, do you have a jingle for this? or? So big shout out to Graham's calves. They were pretty ripped. Oh, come on. That's, that's uncalled for. <laughs> it's you saying it. I mean, you set yourself up for this stuff. Why would you ever say that? On the I show? didn't say that. Somebody's you deep s- faking me together. You think so? Yeah. So big shout out failed. to Graham's calves. Failed. They were pretty ripped. My old friend failed. So you that. said big shout out to... And then Graham, but you said Graham's calves at some point. No, I, I said Graham at some point and calves at some point. It all gets no, 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 together. no, 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 no. That's that's definitely the same cut. So no, big not. shout out to Graham's calves. They were pretty ripped. No, no. no it's all edited together. Oh, well, he's good. You or maybe watch. somebody. You're gonna, you're gonna come up with the whole speech of you. Just somebody like, trolled me in an email. Some crazy alt right speech. Well, you used to be such a sucker. I mean, remember when I just said, hey, say your full name. You're like, Graham Dunlop? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> remember that? Remember the fortune cookie prank? Yeah. The secret. Oh, my God. That's episode 139, I think. 139. Oh, my God. Darren got me so bad with a fortune cookie prank. It was just unbelievable. He had me the whole way through. I was just howling and 139 might be about part what a one. synchronicity it was. And then all the fortune cookies. Oh, well, gonna, don't I burn should... it. Why would you? Why would you? Why would you spoil Just edit that out? <laughs> I'm not editing shit. Out. <laughs> so here's the email. It says uh, in the show you just released uh, with Sweat Sweatlana Sweatlana Dalalana. You guys were wondering when the CBC started to go downhill. I don't have a defend, definitive answer, but I used to listen to CBC Radio a lot, and I do remember that in the 1980s and the early 90s, the CBC Radio show ideas was willing it was willing to run a controversial episode that ran counter to the corporate media narrative of the day i'm thinking particularly of a series of episodes that they did questioned whether hiv causes aids or not that was shocking thing to suggest at the time and is still contentious today it would be like proposing now that covid isn't caused by coronavirus or any sort of virus cbc would not be willing to do something like that now 
I have a friend who is a CBC radio host for many years. Let's call this person X. I'm convinced that this friend's show was canceled because X wouldn't tow the journalistic line and made too much of a fuss when X saw the producers fiddling with the truth. It was a journalistic story about something controversial that brought about my friend's end there. X heard how the story got broadcast and knew that it didn't match what had really happened. My friend had been the journalist on the ground, but had heard the original and unedited interviews that were used to construct a story as it was a broadcast. So X was asking a lot of questions like, why are you distorting what happened? This wasn't the first time that X had questioned what seemed like bias, but it was probably the straw that broke the camel's back. At the end of that season, my friend's show was canceled. That's how they keep the hosts in line. Ask questions and your show gets canceled. Just go along with the master narratives. Lockdowns are a good idea. The unvaxxed spread COVID. Climate change is a catastrophe, etc. And it's not just that every CBC host is afraid of having their show canceled, but also that if you keep getting rid of people who ask questions at a certain point, you're left with a bunch of dummies who wouldn't think to question what I'm calling the master narratives. On the matter of whether the current crop of CBC on-air staff are a bunch of dummies, the question answers itself if you listen to the content. There are exceptions. Eleanor Watchell and Paya Chattopade both strike me as being extremely intelligent, but I'm sure that they're very blue-pilled, understand the parameters that they're allowed to work in and know better than to ask awkward questions. So there you have it. I'm going to just leave that anonymous for now. Um, yeah, yeah, and thank you very much for the email. And yeah, I mean, it's it's just even it's even wrapping up now more and more. Like I'm hearing retractions from the stories that CBC was saying. Oh, the, you know, the, con- the the convoy wasn't violent, and I mean, it's all just too late, right? All those retractions are too late. All the stuff that they're backing off on now, it's just too late. The damage has been done. They they they're allowed to have it both ways. You know, they can say, oh, we made it a retraction. Well, it, you didn't really. You just had one little story somewhere that leaked out that was sort of like, oh, we kind of got those things wrong. Oh, really? That was part of the whole clamp down, freeze the bank accounts, you know, allowing the rest of the media to grab hold of these stories. Right. It's 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 interesting how. I want to dig into this one day, maybe with a researcher or maybe even just doing a, sort of a deep dive ourselves on like all it takes is one little story from somewhere and everybody else just picks up on it. And then it makes it seem like it's got, you know, a whole bunch of investigators when really it's just one planted story. A planted story? Or it could be. Yeah, it could be a planted story. It could be just the, the, the photo op with the one flag that was out of context. Or the hurricane and then, guy. And then the guys walk by in the background. It's just normal. Yeah. Oh, I, I tried to find my my uh, spoof. I, I saved a spoof video on that, and I couldn't find it. It's so funny. The guy's Lost lying it. on a t- the guy's lying on a table with the fan blowing on him. He's like the wind and the rain, and his mom busts him for doing it. And oh, it's just the best video ever. The best ever, and you lost it. You lost yeah. the best. Well, video. I think they. I saved it in my Instagram, or in our Instagram, and I think it only saves you for so many years over there. Is, sorry, it's okay if you are. I mean, yeah. we know how partial to the drums you are. I just don't want to see you making yourself cry. 
Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Did you, drums are, drums you are could never, You could never be a drummer because you might just burst out crying. Or would you not cry at your own shit? I don't know. I mean, that was a special moment. So I, you can't, I just don't cry at every drumming. I mean, it has to hit the, the it has to hit the right nerves. Which ones? I mean, dude, they were talking, I'm reading this book right now on magic, uh, written in the 1500s. And they were talking about how thousands of years ago, they knew music had this emotional influence on people. Well, it's not hard to tell. The bards and like, you know, but I mean, it's been around for thousands of years, right? People have been crying over drums for thousands of years. I mean, why do you think the indigenous sacred, their drumming is so sacred still? Oh, because we cry. It makes you emotional. It's a big cry fest. Oh God, I just love it so much. Elton John, you sexy bastard. No, it wasn't, what are you doing? Why it wasn't you about head? Elton. It was about his drummer. What are you doing over there? I'm uh, I'm ready for the quote of the day. It's speaking of Instagram. I saved one up here for you. For me? Yeah. See if you can guess who this is. Oh, what am I like? Uh, Fifteen for forty. That's probably optimistic. <laughs> You're doing pretty good. Think so. instruments like they talked about this healing with music back like thousands of years ago i mean remember we had our that guest on uh, neil gar who who sort of did the sound healing for years and years i thought it was gore i'm oh, sorry gore yeah um i was just thinking about that the drum i mean that's that's got something to do with the drums making you cry right it's it's, it's pronunciations are like a power to heal it's weird okay ready humans are now hackable animals. The whole idea that humans have this soul or spirit and nobody knows what's happening inside them and they have free will, that's over. Um, hmm. David Icke. No. It's um, Professor... Yuval Noah Harari, Klaus Schwab's top advisor. Harari? Yeah. Like Ferrari? Harari. Harari. Yeah. Harari. Yeah. It's his top advisor. Huh. Klaus Schwab yeah. has top advisors? Yeah. How much that money hack, they want that, that are hacking humans and get it basically saying your, your spirit soul is over. Well, it's not hard no, no to more, hack us. No more free will. Well... Whether we ever had it is debatable. Yeah. You just have to know what strings to pull. I'd agree with you. Huh. What else you got? What you think? Still? No, it's, it's getting better. Are you going to get the root canals? Well, or? my dentist has a medical emergency, so I, I can't uh, have to wait for like my next appointment to be scheduled. So. Like your dentist is? 
Yeah, so I, you know, I shopped around a little bit for an, another holistic dentist uh, around here, but they're all going to do the same thing. I feel like there's no options. Like you have an infection, you get either a root canal or your tooth pulled. There's no other like option. And they might not even be able to do root canal. So they have to take my crowns off and inspect it and all that. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know that there is another option other than just don't fuck your teeth up. That really is the. I know, but like you think that you would be, our bodies would be able to heal infections, right? I'm thinking, well, I mean, well, you, you could, could use all you these, could just these garlics use... and all this stuff. Like, you know, there's well. all these sort of natural cures, but I don't know if they, they, everybody, everybody seems to think that this just comes back. Once it gets that bad, it comes back. Well, you'd have to like really watch your diet yeah, and keep it super clean. The problem is, is once there's an infection in there, like, oof. If you didn't have antibiotics, it would probably just keep getting worse. Like a toothache probably take you out back in the day. <laughs> it's awful close to your brain. To yeah, well, infection. like I was telling you, I tried those bone conduction heads, headphones, and it was right after listening to on on my on a long, long drive, having those on and listening to them. Why? And Why? Why? Well, I, just, What's just, wrong? just, just listening. Just know that I had to. Listen conduct to bone? What? Hey, you had to conduct sound through your bones? You I wanted just... to try, what do you mean? I wanted to try it out instead of wearing mm -hmm. ear pods, ear, ear pods, right? And AirPods. What's wrong with just the speakers in your car? Well, because I had to, there's other things going on besides me that I had to be, you know, ignore. Keep it to myself. <laughs> <laughs> and, and ignore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> both. I don't really use headsets ever. I know. Well, I have to sometimes. So anyways, I mean, I, I, and my, I got a headache that day and then my toothache the next day or that day, even that night or the next day, I think it just shook, shook shit up in there and accelerated the infection. I mean, maybe it's, maybe, maybe it's it just your, the Bluetooth that's been going process. through your head's been just like doing minor chemo on your, on your you root canal infection up until that. Yeah, and exactly. If you switch back to the Bluetooth, you might be okay here. I don't know if you can get the root canals out. I'd probably do it, unless you're. Gonna yeah, get oh yeah, no, I'm gonna try it for sure. Yeah, I hate my missing yeah. teeth. Eventually, I want to go to Mexico get them sorted out. But it's really weird. They seem to really want to pull them easily. They don't seem to want to do root canals anymore. And I know there's been some problems with carcinogenic materials. They're saying in in them from old old root canals. Those back. And then you wonder, like, are the implants going to be the same thing in ten years? Going to be oh my god, whoever had teeth implants. I mean, everything seems to just fall apart in about Bad five news. to ten years. Bad news, bucko. Yeah. That's why I never, ever got the eye surgery. I was just worried my eyes might fall. <laughs> was that an option for you? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But everyone I know that got the eye surgery is wearing glasses again. So. Really? Wow. Hey, you got to keep getting it, I think. I've been reading the books without glasses uh, to try and strengthen my eyes again. It seems to be working. I don't seem to wear reading glasses as much. So. I'm not even into contacts and shit. I also wear my glasses. Okay, stop playing the drums, man. People are gonna be oh, fucking sorry. emailing. Sorry, I can't hear it myself. I'm, yeah, my, we can hear, hear it. it. We can. Okay, hear sorry, it. sorry, sorry. All right, what else you got? Well, I got. That's about it. I mean, I do have a project operation. If you want to hear it, it's kind of weird one. Though. It's kind of well, scary. I don't, but I'm sure someone else does. It's kind of scary. If worried, it's too scary for the show. Or you don't want to get scared before Dungeons and Dragons. No, uh, okay, let's do it. What's that noise? 
Looks military to me. Definitely military. Probably classified too. Dishfire. Prism. Sentry Eagle. Sigma. Mannerkin. Artichoke. MK Ultra. Operation Project. Project Operation. I was looking for one about the. Uh, what? Why aren't we live streaming your D and D yet? Oh, we're not. No, we're never going to live stream the D and D. That's just not. It's not applicable anymore. I, I I've given up on that. Even that hope that that will be a thing. <laughs> Why? Too much of a uh, train wreck too, every time. Yeah. People just, still fall asleep. What? Do people still fall asleep? Uh, nope. Or is it just your guys' banter? That'll be too much. You guys will all get canceled. <laughs> oh, it's just not, it's not professional enough for streaming at all. Oh. <laughs> They're like a bar, a Dungeons and Dragons streaming bar that you'd have That's to hit. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. <laughs> what? I mean, like a bar you'd have to hit. Not like a oh, oh, yeah. I mean, otherwise, why bother if you're not going to, if it's not listenable, then a D and D bar would be a good idea, though. That's where all these dorks can feel safe. You just it's getting super woke, anyways. D and D is your D and D is no, not ours. Oh. just like it's, it's crazy. It's just the whole, the whole how thing. How can it get woke? That's like Monopoly getting woke. Isn't I know it? it's well, that's why, right? It's so popular that that's where they're attacking the wokeness is attacking it, right? BLM calling, calling it racist again, and D and D's racist, and BLM you know, monopoly because orcs are stronger than dwarves, and you know. Dwarves colored. Dwarves aren't as magical as elves. It's all just racist, right? I mean, it's crazy. They're not. They're not races. They're species. These are different things. Whoa! Orcs are stronger. So what? Races are different species. Well, that's what an orc. An orc is different. Like it's not the same. It's not like they're all just different races. Like we haven't. All right. Real life. This has gone too far. Let's hear you. Well, you keep bringing it up. So I mean, don't bring up my D and D. I don't see how it could be woke. It's like. Completely in. I just told you how it's completely in house. I just told you how. I'm talking about the game. It's like the 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 whole culture, the game itself, the rules, the 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 people, the pop culture aspect of it. There's woke rules. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. I'm getting rid of all the racial abilities and stuff because they think it's racist, right? Yeah. Why did black people have special powers? Well, there isn't black people in there. What's the point? There's your problem. Why can't there be black people? You can. You can have anything you want. Well, well, not it's racist. not real life. It's problem. a fantasy world. <laughs> well, make your fantasy world monsters less aren't evil anymore. Like, you, know, you, can, you know, who says monsters aren't evil? Well, I'm telling you, this is what's happening. I think you spend too much time on the internet, bro. We gotta get you out more. You have a bike. <laughs> I gotta buy a new bike. My seat's not comfortable. And my gears don't work. I'm just stuck in sixth gear all the time. Oh, that sucks. So anyways, this is, uh, I was looking for one to, to, um, to supplement our, our awesome episode with Ben here. Maybe like, you know, one on the, the arc or these artifacts that people say were, um, taken from the museums in Iraq when the war, you know, like sort of a conspiratorial, you know, like project Stargate type stuff. But instead of going down that, I ended up going down this rabbit hole with, uh, with Minerva, Project Minerva. Because that's, um, I think, the name of a goddess. And it's got to do with Condor, Operation Condor, which is also known as Plan Condor. Um, 
Oh, hang on. This is weird. It says that involving intelligence operations and assassinations of opponents. It was officially and formally implemented in 1975 by the right-wing dictatorships of the southern cone of South America. So it's talking about this clandestine nature. The precise number of deaths directly attributable to Operation Condor is highly disputed. So I'm going to leave that there because Minerva just talks about this. So this is uh, I'm going to this is from CIAday.wordpress. I'll put a link in the show notes, but it's the CIA's Minerva secret, and it, it talks about Operation Condor in these countries, and they use this crypto AG devices without realizing that the CIA owned the company. So. The, these National Security Archive documents reveal that these encryption revelations raise the question about U.S. official knowledge of Argentina's dirty war atrocities. Um, Letelier's assassination, Southern Cone military dictatorships, Swiss encryption company secretly owned by U.S. and German intelligence agencies, according to these records, um, and the Washington Post. So it's a, so it talks about how NSA and the C, C, uh, GCHQ spied on the Cold War world. So, I mean, this is interesting because this goes back to the 70s when, and now we're like 50 years later when all this stuff's going on, you know, still with Russia and the Ukraine. Um, it says uh, the U.S. Uh, intelligence community actively monitored for decades the diplomatic and military communications of numerous Latin American nations through encryption machines supplied by this Swiss company that was secretly owned by the CIA and German intelligence agencies. According to reports made uh, today by the German public uh, television channel ZDF and the Washington Post. So take it all with a grain of salt because you never know what the Washington Post could be just another more propaganda. But it talks about declassified records posted uh, by the NSA showing that these surveilled countries were military regimes of the Operation Condor nations. So that was like led by Chile, Argentina, and Uruguay. And they conducted regional and international acts of repression and terrorism against leading op- opposition figures. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, they call it, so this Minerva, the ZDF reports in the Washington Post story titled the intelligence coup of the century. For decades, the CIA read the encrypted communications of allies and adversaries, based their accounts on classified internal histories from the CIA and the BND, which detailed their partnership to purchase Crypto AG. The company founded in the 30s, then it was uh, the NSA dating back to the 50s. And they rigged the company's devices so they could easily break the codes that countries use to send encrypted messages. So they they generated a wealth of intelligence intercepts from countries around the world, among them Iran, Egypt, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and Italy. Italy. So I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that. I guess um, it's a, quite an article. It's got a lot more stuff. Talks about Condor Tell. Um, it was it represented a formal agreement among the Southern Cone military dictatorships to coordinate repressive operations, including assassination. Yeah, it's it's pretty in depth, pretty cool, pretty cool story. But yeah, I don't know, good context for what's happening right now. That pretty cool story. Check out uh, grammarica.ca/sport. <laughs> Try that again. Not gonna edit that either, though. Sorry, I just got a hold of me. Uh, check out grandamerica.ca slash support today. If you guys aren't a supporter, if uh, you like what we do here, I think this is episode like 550 or something. 
60 maybe? 560? No, 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 540. You're way high. Last time you did this too. And I turned out to be exactly right. I didn't didn't gloat, but here we are. Now you've made me gloat. I didn't want to gloat. But uh, if you enjoy what you hear here, I mean, you could check out all those back catalog episodes. Like we said, that intro to 139 and 142, I believe, tie in nicely. There's some fantastic guests back there. Rick Simpson, uh, some that are even passed away now that won't do shows anymore. Like I think number 60 or so might have been Dave McGowan. Um, we had the fabulous Dave McGowan on the show. So check out the back catalog. And if you're enjoying what you hear and you like the show here, check out grammarica.ca slash support today. Sign up for a monthly or make a one-time donation, uh, whatever you can do to help us keep going, keep growing and keep flowing around here. Of course, Graham does try and do this full time. Uh, not try to. He's been doing it for a year now. Let's keep him going. Uh, not quite a year, but it's, it'll be a year in, in, in a couple months. Yeah, pretty much mailed it in by now. <laughs> um, and then, but of I course. Mean, you know, I, I, I'm still not where I was, right? I mean, I want to be clear that this is still a leap of faith. I mean, it's going really well. I'm super grateful, but we still need people's support, you know? It's still. Right. Uh, Let's, a lot of work and I still and, work. So uh, maybe that could be work. more of a problem than you not being where you were. <laughs> maybe we could get yeah. me out of work and first, then we'll get yeah. you there. Well, that's, that's what I mean. I mean, you know, I'm still, stuck we're not, I'm not even there yet. So but I love what I, I love what I do and I love the show we do and all the people that listen and our guests. And I mean, it's fantastic. So I'm not complaining. Check out our other show, America See if you like that over there. Um, it's a bit different topics, a little bit different flavor than here. It doesn't have the intros or anything like that, but it does. Uh, there is the opportunity to go for the full two-hour show over there. And then, of course, there's all the audiobooks. Head over to adultbrain.ca. we got over 50 audiobook titles out now. Uh, you can get them all there, and you can check out my book at canadianshame.ca. i got another book coming out here in their own words. It'll probably be out, uh, I'd say, in the next two or three weeks. I'll let you know when that's out. But yeah, support our stuff. Otherwise, we won't be able to keep doing it. Uh, anything else? Should we just save the... I could save the social media stuff for next week. Yeah, let's save it for next week. That's it. We're out of here? Yeah. All right, guys. Enjoy the chat with the wonderful Ben uh, Van Kirkwick from Uncharted X. One of the best YouTube channels out there. And if you want to meet him, check us out either in Utah, Montana, or Washington. He'll be at all three of those events. Check it out. Contact at thecabin.com. Enjoy the chat with Ben Welcome to Grey America. Thanks for joining us. 
thanks for the invite, guys. It's uh, it's great to talk to you guys again. Yeah, it'll be good. We're, we're getting to know you in person. We're going on trips together, like some of Randall's events, mm. some of our events. And, of course, Egypt coming up in November 2022. But for those who yeah. don't really know much about you yet, maybe we can get a little bit of background on, like, how... Because I don't think we, on our other show, I don't think we really got into, like, how you got sort of involved and started up your uncharted, your amazing Uncharted X YouTube channel and all that, maybe a little bit of that history. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I kind of, we. I guess you you and us, we all cross paths through some of the common interests and I, I'd kind of gotten really um, deep into some of Randall Carlson stuff and then, and then, you know, the trips he was doing, which of course you guys are involved in and that's more or less how we met. And then there's that, that sort of realm of the podcast world for those people interested in, ancient mysteries and technology and you know the, the graham hancocks who, who i know you you've you guys have spoken to several times so it was i guess almost inevitable that we we ended up chatting at some point but for me my my interest in it uh it has been a long-standing one it's something that i've i've always been interested in even as a kid i did history in in high school my mother was a history teacher uh so i had kind of an interest from it back in the day i almost went that way at university but figured out you'd make a lot more money doing uh it really not a lot of it in in history so i went that it went that way but eventually it was uh similar to a lot of people i think like hancock's work graham hancock's work uh, fingerprints of the gods eventually saw him on his very first appearance on the on the rogan podcast um got exposed to a few more of his ideas around consciousness things like that which you know i guess lead you down your own little journeys of uh, discovering what priorities are in life and, and evaluating yourself and things like that and and, and i eventually had the chance to travel with graham so I, I he he said that i think he was researching uh his second book after fingerprints and magicians of the gods and he said well we're gonna, he's doing a research trip into peru and bolivia in 2013 and i was like ah sign me up you know take my money and um and uh immediately did that and that was pretty much it you know we after spending two weeks with graham down there in in, in south america looking at all of the incredible stuff that you see in the sacred valley in cusco in bolivia pumapunku tiwanaku i was I was just, I'd already been, my interest in this, all this, this stuff was, was, was rising as it was. But after that, I was, I was absolutely fascinated. And then it, uh, I guess a slow progression of the several next several years, becoming more and more involved in this and deciding eventually it was time to quit my day job and try to make something out of this because I, I really saw that there was um, kind of a, a space for uh, some more content here. There was, there was kind of, as a crossover of, of a couple of different things. One was the, the rise of, uh, consumer grade, really kind of high quality and stabilized video equipment. So it, it no longer cost you tens of thousands of dollars to be able to film something in 4K that was stabilized, uh, and and you could get some really high quality footage because at that time it felt like that type of footage was really lacking on a lot of these sites. And there was a lot of just tremendous thinking and new ideas, and uh, I guess um, really really new concepts and new new approaches to the mysteries of the past that were being raised by authors like Hancock like, you know, Beauvoir, like a lot of other people. Uh, and they're, But they're in these books. They were kind of buried in all these books. You had to be right into the topic um, to be able or, to... Or on ancient aliens, you know, for book. example, right? Yeah, or on, yep, all of that as well, yeah, bringing those up. But I, I thought there was kind of room for a new look at a lot of these sites with some high-quality footage and then trying to, you know, and, and a focused deep dive um, kind of video sort of mini documentary look at, at some of these mysteries. And that's kind of the niche I ended up in. And, um, yeah, it was... I had no idea what I was doing when I when I first got into it. Like it was just I, we, I got in it with the intention of making a documentary in the first place, and of course that's like that's the that's the whole, that's the film world, you know. That's like yeah, yeah, 
yeah. backers and production. And so you naturally kind of end up on YouTube and that's um, where I kind of found my niche and a few years later, here I am. So, so it wasn't just that you were of, not satisfied at the, at the corporate sort of gig anymore, but was that, was that part of it? You know, just unfulfilled uh, in yeah. your job as well. And then you saw an opportunity and went for it kind of thing. I, I'd been 20 years in, in, in IT yeah. and I had a, I, it wasn't necessarily, I, I, I don't want to say I wasn't really burnt out. I'd, I'd lost, you know, as you do, you kind of go through that shift. I mean, I, I have my ambition and, and, and that whole corporate um, consumerism kind of driven thing, like climb that corporate ladder um, ambition to kind of thank for putting me in a position to eventually be able to quit to go chase this. But you, you eventually, I think, I, I was in my sort of early mid-30s and I started to reevaluate what was important. Like that, that whole ambition ladder of like I need more money, I need more promotions, I need more stuff. Like I, I kind of fell off that that roundabout because I'm looking at and I'd been sort of shooting up the corporate ladder, right? I I, I quickly became, you know, I, I moved from Australia to Singapore for a few years and then to the US to the global headquarters. I picked up a global role. I was I was doing I was sort of uh, one of the um, one of the the technologists in the in the in the CTO group, kind of doing my own thing and working on projects. And a lot of a lot of people would consider it kind of a, a, a dream job in IT, uh, that type of thing. But it's just it just ceased to be that important to me, you know. And I was just I, all my time was spent thinking about all this other stuff. Uh, and in fact, it was funny because whenever we get to events or even with customers and in the downtime, I'd be talking about you know history stuff and Egypt and Peru and all these things instead of technology and routers and data centers and virtualization and all this other stuff um so yeah it was just kind of a natural thing eventually i was like yeah i'm not i've got to keep a toe in it but i'm like now yeah, i'm just not not that interested in that that industry anymore and I, I had the chance to step outside of it it's it's kind of something i could go back to it if ever i really needed to but it's not something i ever want to did was you there like an overlap there like how long did it take you to kind of quit that after you started sort of your your channel uh yeah it was probably a I, I, I mean, I had a lot of planning. This there was a good, um, a good couple of years there where I, it was it was some significant overlap, and then eventually, and, and again, it was thanks to kind of that corporate world and that, that the ambition. I, was, I put myself in a position where I was I was able to take a couple of years off. Like that was my intent. It was I, I originally sort of sold it as like, hey, I'm taking like a long term um, hiatus from this industry. Like I, I'm. I'm uh, getting off the roundabout to go try out some other sort of passion projects, if you want to call it that. And then um, there did come a point, like in 2019, I, I was, 2019 was the kind of make or break where it's like, well, you know, this is fun. This is interesting. It's growing a bit, but I, I needed to, you know, I started to look at contract work again because I was like, well, I can't, you know, I needed to make an income from it. Um, I'm not looking to make it. I mean, if I want money, I'll go back to IT, but it was like, I needed to make something from it. Thankfully, my wife does work and, um, and you know, I was in a good position to start with, I guess. But but it was like this has to turn into actually something that's sustainable. Uh, if not, you know, I wouldn't recommend YouTube to people as like a career to get into for uh, for money or anything. But it had to become sustainable. Uh, and and 2019, it was like this inflection point of like, well, I was looking at at, at contracts, and then um, and and it kind of grew rapidly during that year. And I was like, all right, so this seems to have legs to it, and I, I want to keep doing it, and I'll and it. It has continued on since then. So, yeah, that was it. Was you know, it was it was a bit of a transition point to get into it in the first place. But now, yeah, now it's it's sort of uh, rolling along, and I'm, it's one of those things where it feels like I'm going to continue to do it as long as I can. I've got a lot of projects going on. You know, it's it's I almost have too much stuff to do. I want to write a book, and but I'm trying to keep the the whole YouTube thing going. And 
I get a lot of opportunities and things, and it's just a, a matter of prioritizing what I'm actually going to do um, rather than finding something to do. Yeah, that's how that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I've seen some good feedback. Like I was wa- reading some of the comments in your videos, and, uh, and man, the people just love your style and love the videos you do. They're very, like, it's a g- really good mix of, like, open-minded uh, skepticism of the the mainstream narrative and and exploring alternatives and and very well done videographically if that's a word you. you know I mean it, it's it's yeah. fantastic I mean obviously you're catching uh, like you said a real niche here with people that want to see this stuff in a new light I mean your your last one of your last videos you had sort of new footage that like nobody's really seen this stuff. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I've had the opportunity now to get to some places and film in areas where you, I don't, you know, you, you're very hard pressed to find a, a, a long, a good, decent look at, at some of these things, and it's fascinating. I think some of the stuff we see, particularly like I think you might be talking about beneath the step pyramid, which they, they have only just reopened, and it's where they'd found like forty thousand of these just exquisite sort of machine uh, lathe turned stone vases made from some of the hardest types of stone on the on the planet, and um, yeah, to get in and, and be able to share that with everyone, just it's it's a it's 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 really rewarding. I, I it's it's yeah, I enjoy doing that. And and I, yeah, some of the stuff people haven't seen getting down into the Asara shaft, other areas, and that's been the benefit. To, it's it's been nice. Also, Egypt's beginning to open up some of these places. But as I said, there's just a, there really is a lack of really good footage for a lot of this stuff. And I definitely have a niche. Like I'm not my stuff's like not the typical YouTube thing where it's like you know people upload frequently maybe a time or two a week and they're you know it's like an eight minute or ten minute video mine's much more long format once a month kind of it takes me that long to put them together but 45 minutes to an hour deep sort of deep dive into different subjects and topics and uh, i do a lot of research in the back end i'm always quoting petrie and other sort of older sources because i i I get i think there's a, a lot of um uh, I guess just interesting perspectives you can take from some of the, all the work that's been done on these places. There's usually a long story to all of these places and all of these mysteries and all of these topics. And I kind of try to get into that and give it, um, give everyone it's their kind of due that has, has looked into it and, and present it all as, as, as one package. But that's, um, yeah, it's definitely a niche. It's not, you know, there's, there's other ways that like, you know, kind of like you mentioned ancient aliens, like that's, um, it's an interest. I was, treat ancient aliens like a, a double-edged sword you know it's it's great in that it presents a lot of these historical mysteries uh, to people and that may never have, have known about these things in the past and i think it probably generates a lot of interest in some of these topics like Baalbek or pumapunku and tiwanaku but it also presents it in kind of this context this 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 context of well it's we've kind of got this conclusion we're shooting at here that we're trying to support with with the way we're presenting this but uh I mean, I, I try to take a pretty open-minded approach to this stuff, and it frustrates some of the people that, that watch this a lot is in that I don't provide answers. Like, a lot of it's – like, I'm, I'm trying to pr- present a lot of the mystery here, and, and, and that's the issue with most of our story of mainstream history, particularly when it comes to the nuance around a lot of these very ancient sites in, in Egypt and South America, uh, is that the answer that we really have at the moment should be we don't know how this was done and we don't know who really did it, but we, we, we kind of have this – I don't know if it's a need from um, kind of the uh, academic establishment to declare that they do know it and they do have the answers. Uh, yeah. just, but when you dig into it, there's just so many contradictions and, 
and 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 things you can't actually explain that don't get explained or they get ignored and it's, so it's it's a much more nuanced uh story so i, I try to approach that stuff and look yeah. at it all and take yeah. an open-minded look at it yeah. yeah i meant i meant when i mentioned ancient aliens i mean actually that's something that darren and i had in common from the beginning and we started the show based on like following some of those researchers around to other conferences and stuff, not following, but meeting them at other conferences. Mm-hmm. But, but what I was getting at, as you mentioned, you know, they, they put them in sort of these books that don't really get a lot of mainstream attention. And then it's either that for these right. researchers or ancient aliens, not really having a lot of like these <laughs> well done YouTube channels yeah. back then. But I mean, that's also changing now too. You must have more competition, more people putting these, these channels together um, as well. But, but yeah. I think that, that what you're talking right. about here with the scientism is, is I think it's inherent in all, all science and all, all areas. I mean, I've been reading these books from Charles Ford and the history of spiritualism and uh, supernaturalism and all this. And they're all battling against this materialism and scientism back in the 1800s, 1700s. I mean, whenever that started, it was, it was an issue back then. It was the same with astronomy, with, with physics. I mean, it, it really, it seems to be just inherent in, in humanity for some reason. I, I agree. You're absolutely right. And this is yeah, it's certainly not something that's unique to, to this field, to to kind of the, the past and ancient history and archaeology and whatnot. Yeah, it's a weird – it's the weird – it's a nature of establishment, I think. And it's – I spend a lot of time kind of explaining this and talking about it in, in my videos. I think it's – a lot of it has to do with, I think, just the nature of establishment. There's a – Yes. And and maybe it is human human nature. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's, it's more establishment. More institutional yeah, to be than, authoritative than human nature. To, yeah, 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 yeah. For for archaeologists and academics, I mean, that's the the guys that are writing the textbooks that are saying, well, no, the, the dynastic Egyptians built this stuff. You know, Khufu definitely is responsible for that pyramid, and you know, there's no mystery to be found in the Serapium and these hundred ton granite boxes. We just it's it's there's no hieroglyphs on them. Who cares? I mean, it's their their I guess their entire sort of identity is derived from their position as this as as an accepted position as an expert you know like as a skeptical that's their their tenure well yeah their authority well they they're the ones who have the authority it's like the weirdest thing it's the weirdest thing to me is is that we should for these i really focus on a lot of the engineering aspects of these ancient mysteries like these hundred ton single piece precision carved granite boxes like made from one piece of stone (laughs) one piece of granite it's a huge box about a hundred tons it's insane but You'd think that the answers and the way we should be looking at these things is with engineers and and you know engineers, construction experts, people that know what it takes to create artifacts and objects like this. But those aren't the people that are recognised as the experts on this stuff. It's it's the archaeologists and it's the Egyptologists and these people are. I mean that science is it's closer to you know arts and language studies. I mean it, it, at its core they're, they're telling you about how ancient cultures lived, what their daily lives were like, what they did. They're interpreting their their written works. It's like this interpretation of culture. It's not engineering. And, you know, it's 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 the funniest thing to me. It's like if, if the chair, if there's a chair, if, if there's an ancient chair, then it's the archaeologist that's the expert on that ancient chair. But you wouldn't ask him to engineer the chair that he's sitting on when he writes <laughs> that opinion, you know. it's we, and, and that's the and this crazy thing is, is that almost – invariably almost uniformly when you show engineers and construction experts and you know these people that that understand what it takes and stonemasons to to work in these materials and to come up with these results they're like get out of town like there's no way you're doing this with pounding stones and copper chisels and flint chisels and 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 primitive methodologies like it just doesn't 
you can't you can't do it. And they've tried a bunch of times. There's, you know, this is where the nuance comes in. They've, there's been experiments, and Mark Lane has done stuff and, and tried to show that you can do it. And they've never successfully done any of that. They've, they've always had to resort to modern tools and techniques and technologies to to make even a small fraction of these things. So, you know, well, guys like Chris Dunn uh, have studied it, and you know. Go ahead. Well, what what the last video and and after school did a great job with your video as well. I just got to give a oh, shout out yeah. to to Mark over there as well. I mean, both that mm-hmm. your video and his were fantastic. But what it really made me think of is he's a great dude. And we talked about those jars uh, in the other show as well. But I mean, I didn't realize there's forty. They they found forty thousand of these things and and the oh, yeah. the depth of the underground yeah. structure that you're in down there and and. And it really makes you think like this is such a large scale, like 40,000 uh, precise made jars. I mean, that would be like if you had, you know, five people working on those at a couple hours each, you're talking about like seven years constantly just to make these these <laughs> jars. Like it must be yeah, it must be like there was a word that you used, I think, or somebody used um, that was like if if it, it has to be easy for, for the for them to do all this. Right. It has to be easy, right? It has to be worth the effort to make all this. And I feel like yeah, there's just it, it, a there's, real huge missing piece of the puzzle here. I I, I agree, and that's that's what I'm I'm trying to show and and trying to look for, and to some extent as well. And in fact, it's we can get into it, but I've I, I've I'm, the next video I put out is going to be interesting because I've actually managed to do some uh, lidar scanning of of sites and, and places, and I think we can actually come up with some new information that may even help to drive the conversation forward, particularly around how they quarried stone and granite and things like that. But um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a, the, the jar story is, is really remarkable. Like it's, it's a, you got to remember, they found these things underneath the step pyramid of Joseph, which is a, a big step pyramid. It's, a, it's at a site called Saqqara. It's attributed to the third dynasty. The, the, I think it was the last pharaoh of the third dynasty, Pharaoh Joseph. Considered by many to be the sort of protogenitor pyramid, right? So it was, it's this series of – it's like doesn't have that pyramid shape. It's like stepped up, hence the name Step Pyramid. It's, it's thought to be a, a series of stacked mastabas. Uh, this thing on its own, it's, it's a big structure. It's, it's, it's remarkable, but it's not – I wouldn't say it's like it's got any real um, aspects of high technology or anything like that. I think it was probably done by the Third Dynasty, uh, Dynastic Egyptians. What's interesting is what's beneath it what you find underneath the ground there that, and this is the case you find in a lot of this ancient Egyptian stuff is the stuff that's under the ground is far more complex and far more well-made and far more technologically advanced than what you find above the ground. And, you know, it, to me, it's like there's a possibility that these guys found a lot of this stuff and then built up their civilizations and their sites around what they'd found beneath the ground or what they'd known about because, uh, you know, I think this a lot of this may have been done by their their ancestor cultures, which they themselves talk about. But in, in the case of the Step Pyramid, you go into beneath this thing and there's this huge like 100 foot deep shaft that's about 40 or 50 feet square and it's this massive big hole that's beneath the step pyramid and at the bottom of it's a a huge granite box that's been made up of like 32 uh individual pieces of granite each weighing between sort of 3 to 6 7 tons and surrounding it is something like 6 or 7 miles of tunnels and catacombs and it's in these tunnels and catacombs and chambers that they'd found 40,000, at least 40,000, more like forty-five to 50,000 of these, the remnants and in some cases whole pieces but lots of shattered pieces of these incredible stone vases and jars and things like this. And they're made from, you know, a variety of materials, schist and gneiss and diorite and granite and, and oh God, this, the, the list is almost endless, cyanite, 
um, of different types of stone. Some of them, even ones that they've got examples made from corundum. What's interesting is this, this is a third dynasty. They've also found these objects in the first and second dynasty tombs, and the way they kind of explain them, and these are all, if you go look at the video, then I can show some, there's pictures of it and video of these things. They're lathe turned, they're precision carved. Like they're, in some cases, you've got these vases that have been turned out to a thickness that's, as uh, Flinders Petrie said, no thicker than stout playing card. So you're turning very brittle, very hard stone down to like the thickness of a playing card. Uh, you've got other examples that are just so perfectly balanced and well made that they stand up on their tip, almost like they're standing on the tip of an eggshell. Like they can, they're balanced. That's how well balanced they are. Uh, absolutely, no doubt, made on a lathe or on other 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 sort of, uh, I guess, high technology tools. We even have the tool marks on them. You've got centering marks. You've got lathe marks. You've got all sorts of um, indications of tool use and advanced tools, tools and technologies that you cannot explain with what we know the third dynasty in the Old Kingdom Egyptians were using, which was pounding stones, copper chisels, flint chisels, no turning anything, just sort of pounding away on stuff. Um, the funny thing is is that, that they found these things in first and second dynasty tombs as well, which is the very first beginnings of, that, of the Egyptian civilization, according to the uh, orthodox timelines. And they, they themselves will say that in the museum at Saqqara, they tell you that all well, these 40 or 50,000 uh, jars were most likely heirlooms that they had inherited and that they had they'd come down to them from the earlier dynasties, the first or second dynasties. And it's just like, well, how do we know it was the first or second dynasties? Is it not also possible that these are far older? They may have been in, created and inherited long before the first uh, or second dynasties because it's a weird thing. There's not a lot of architectural stonework to, to, that the first or second dynasties really have to show for it. Like they, they somehow had this incredible ability to work these stone vases, which shows us just a technological grasp of stonework, but it's not reflected in anything else from that period. And then after the third dynasty, it just goes away. They never make any more of these again. Like that, tech, that, just that, tech, that, that whole capability seems to vanish. And it's just, it's just one of many of these contradictions that's, that's in the details of the, the mainstream story of history that you sort of look at and when you dig into it, you kind of scratch your head and go, what is going on here? Like, none of this makes sense. This, this, the orthodox explanation for this just doesn't make sense. And after a few years of looking into it, it's, you know, it's, it, to me, the, 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 the hypothesis that makes a lot more sense is the idea that these things, they inherited them as much as they inherited the giant statues, the giant precision-made boxes, the, you know, the, the saw-cut slabs, and a lot, there's a lot of stuff, I think, that the, that the ancient Egyptians inherited and then built their civilization around. Uh, they even talk about it themselves. Like, they have their own legends. They call themselves a legacy civilization. They talk about the time of the, the Shemsu Hor, the followers of Horus, who are these semi-divine, you know, mystical beings that had magical capabilities. And, and before that was uh, the time of Zeptepi, when the gods themselves walked the earth. And they even have the list in the Turin Papyrus that goes back some, I think it's like 26,000 years, and they, they give you a list of kings and of, and of rulers of that civilization, and they, they call themselves a legacy of that civilization. But we in our time today and the, the mainstream, I guess, academia just kind of dismiss all that. They say, well, that's just myth and legend, and <laughs> it didn't really start. And, you know, it started with the, the, the first dynasty, the first king of the first dynasty, and that's when the civilization actually started. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of weird. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. I mean, you've answered a bunch of my questions right there. I mean, that's it's that's fantastic. I, I mean, I, I have 
a bit more I wanted to expand on kind of like the Egyptian book of the dead and the resurrection that seemed to got, got passed to Christianity and, and, but that, oh, yeah. but that's not sort of going further back. Uh, like you're, you're talking about, I think pre or antediluvian, I guess. But I mean, what I wanted exactly. to bring up before, before on the, on the, on the, uh, underneath the step pyramid, you talked about, you know, the hundred foot depth and all the caverns and catacombs, and you, I think you said that they might even go all the way to Cairo. Like they're, they're, we're talking like like yeah. many, many kilometers of of uh, tunnels. And and is there a, like what I started to think is was that all above ground at one point and it all got buried? Do you think is that has anybody ever talked about that or is that just all sort of layer upon layer underneath the ground? Well, it it's I don't think it was above ground. It's all tunneled through bedrock itself. Like oh, it is literally. Yeah. It's not like. Yeah, it's not constructed um, like layer upon layer uh, in the ground. It's it's a lot of that stuff is constructed is like tunneled through the bedrock. Tunnel, it's yeah, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 raw bedrock um, that you can see down there. So and you you're right. Like there was rumors uh, for a long time, and this is uh, like Hakim Al Awan, who's uh, Yusuf Awan's father. He's a famous um, indigenous wisdom keeper and guide who's uh, and sadly passed away a few years ago. But Hakim. He's in uh, the Pyramid Code, Carmen uh, Bolter's um, uh, documentary yep. series that's yep. on uh, Netflix. He's a very famous guy, but he and he he was kind of a kept alive a lot of the 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 the, the indigenous wisdom, like the the people's knowledge and understanding that had been passed down through time. And he would talk about a, a period of time where you could walk from from Giza, which is Cairo, to Saqqara without the sun touching your back, like through tunnels underneath the ground. Um, and I, I think it's that? entirely plausible sorry how far is that 32 oh, kilometers probably something like that some, something like that yeah 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 i mean it's not yeah, like you, it's you not have... hundreds but it's it's still you know no. 30, 30 kilometers is still under, underneath the ground is still because then it, then you beg well, the you beg to ask the question well then where else can you go underground i mean that's obviously yeah, not yeah. the only tunneling well, there's extensive. There's extensive. There's a thing people don't realize. There's extensive subterranean features on particularly these old kingdom sites. Like there's something like ten or eleven miles of stuff at Saqqara alone, of of tunnels and chambers. And then at Giza, we like I I've got some videos showing you that there's there's tunnels running off from places like the Osiris Shaft, which is 150 feet uh, down below the ground, and we just don't know where they've they have never explored them they're like they they've, they need to remove some rubble and things from them but we don't know where they go uh there's you know this is a, a, a this is like that that whole world of like well the hall of records is there anything under the sphinx there's it, it's such a bizarre thing to me that we haven't we haven't really made a good effort to try and find out because we have a lot of the tools and technology this is one of my other big bugbears with the the uh establishment the people that control access to these sites is like we have a lot of this technology now we can go in and, and non-destructively probably answer a lot of these questions. Right, right. But it's, there seems to be a reluctance to do that in a lot of cases. And, um, you know, one of the – probably one of the best examples of this is is the, the great labyrinth at, at Hawara, which is uh, – I have a whole video exploring that topic. But there was a whole – for people that don't know, the, the labyrinth is considered to be like one of the wonders of the ancient world that was then lost to the sands of time. Like something Literally. that was described by – Herodotus, exactly, yeah. Herodotus and Pliny the Elder and Diodorus Siculus, like these historical figures that talked about it and wrote about it, as 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 surpassing the pyramids in in magnificence. You're talking about like 
3,000 plus, plus rooms in an underground labyrinth that was multi, multi stories deep. Like many multiple football fields made up of the most incredible granite works you've ever seen. Like they visited it, they talked about it, and it was just lost. But they they found that in like 2008, I think it was. Um, there was a study done. It's at Hawara, uh, which is where Petrie originally thought it was. But they they did some work there at Hawara in um, 2008. Something called the Matahara Expedition. And if you dig hard enough on the internet, you can find the paper for it. Or I have a whole video talking about it. But they did this and they actually did a bunch of uh, studies with a, a whole number of techniques, including ground penetrating radar, also some other seismic um, um, methodologies. But they found it. They literally found You can see sections of it in these maps and in these density scans. It's currently below the water table level there, and it's slowly being eroded away by this salty groundwater that's there. And and it, the whole expedition, the report and everything, uh, just got squashed. It got It got suppressed. Uh, and all of the members of this expedition were, were threatened with national security sanctions by Zahi Huas, and uh, and they just they shut it down, and and it was it never really got out into the public domain about what they'd found there. But they they found the lost labyrinth of Egypt, and it's like literally one of the wonders of the modern world, and it's currently rotting away in groundwater at Hawara. Um, and I don't know why. I mean, I, I think there's some political reasons that may be involved with that site in particular that have to do with kind of water rights and and. The, the management of water in Egypt and the and the damming of the Nile and all that. that is that what the dam yeah. from the Nile flooded it or I, that's the reason why the water table is rising in general uh, is because they dammed the Nile uh, it's a little bit counterintuitive because it what it, it removes the inundation right so at the, at the in the south where they they dammed uh, the Nile at Aswan it stopped that yearly inundational flooding of the Nile but what it also and you'd think that would raise the water table but what what happens is is that uh, it removed the dry season, so it, it's there's no longer a dry season, which was what would make really draw down on the water table. So now there's no dry season, and the um, the water table level beneath the ground has been slowly rising, uh, and it's been you know it's basically it, it's come up several meters in the last um, well what 150 years or so, and uh, and yeah it's it's basically flooding some of these sites. Uh, and some of the things that are beneath the ground, uh, all up in in all in Lower Egypt, places like Hawara and uh, Giza, they were worried about the water affecting the Sphinx. If you remember back a few years, they were worried about like, oh, there's the groundwater is going to affect the Sphinx. Uh, I can tell you, in places like the Osiris Shaft, that whole that whole the bottom chamber of that's all flooded because that's with groundwater. Um, at Hawara, that's also the case. Like the groundwater is at about five meters, and the labyrinth starts at about nine meters, and you used to be able to get into the pyramid there, and and Petrie, in fact, Flinders Petrie, about 150 years ago, explored the the uh, the, the chambers of this pyramid, found some incredible incredible stuff down there. But you just he uh, he got in there when because the water table allowed him to do it, but you just you can't get in there anymore because the the water table's risen. Um, huh. So yeah, there's I th- and I think that's got something maybe to do with it. It'd be it would be a big job to try to. Fix the issue in in the area of the labyrinth to preserve it and 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 um, excavate it, but I, I wish they would. I, I think that's something that if if the world knew about it and all of the institutions, I think you could probably raise the money to make it happen. But um, yeah, it's it's one of the saddest things I think that we somehow let politics and all the rest of it get in the way of a discovery like that. But that's it's just symptomatic of, of what seems to me to be a resistance to release new information and and really take a look at some of these mysteries and try to solve them because I think we could. Like we have a lot of capability. We just we just don't seem to want to apply it. It's really weird. Yeah. Yeah. 
again, it just seems like we're stuck in this paradigm where they really just don't want us for some reason thinking that there's advanced ancient civilizations or, or you know, there was different, yeah. uh, you know, races or species of humanoids walking around. Or I mean, there's all these different mm-hmm. sort of, I think, paradigm-breaking yeah. truths that yeah. we could, you know, I don't know, that would just shift the way we think about everything, <laughs> history, our modern, I mean, then we would start questioning all kinds of stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's my conspiratorial thinking on it. You know, it's like it just feels like it opened up a can of worms that they they wouldn't be able to put back. You know, what else is not true of our history? Yep. Darren, (laughs) do you have any questions? Yeah, I mean, well, I remember John Ward telling me that uh, that's the labyrinth was all underwater. That was the main problem. He's like, it's a you know, we it's there, we know where it is, but we just have no way of getting to it. Because of sand and water. That's right. Yep. That'd be a lot to pump yeah, it's, out, it's, I guess. You would, you, well, yeah, you'd have to fix the drainage on the site. There's, there's a, there's a, I've got, yeah, I get into it in that video, and I've been out to Hawara a few times now, and um, you can tell where people have been digging. People have been looking out there for a long time. Petrie thought he found it. He dug down, and he thought what he found, he, he found what he thought was the foundation for it. But, in fact, he was standing on the roof of these big granite big beams you know he, he dug down and found these things he's like oh well this is all that's left it's just like the foundation i'm like no no you, you're standing on the roof you know and um and uh you'd have to fix the drainage on this huge site and your problem is is you've got this thing the, it's called the barwadi canal runs right through the middle of that site and and in fact it runs right through the middle of the labyrinth and you've got the labyrinth on both sides of it and this provides um irrigation water to the what's called the the Fayum region in egypt and this is this kind of this big depression but it, it's it's like a very productive farmland like they they grow a lot of the food that egypt needs in this area like and this is this is one of the main kind of irrigation canals that, that run in and out of it so you, you kind of would have to you're starting to mess with farmers waters rights and the food production and you, you would have to like fix the drainage for this massive site like massive site for, to, to you'd have to carve a huge ditch or drain around the whole thing i think to start with Start trying to stop the groundwater from getting in there, and then start draining it. Then start excavating. You're probably talking millions and millions of dollars worth. But is it have, like you mentioned before about non-destructive? Though I mean, has it been non-destructively surveilled, or is there, you know, is it yeah. mapped that, at all that out with the, lidar or ground penetrating radar or anything? The, not all of it, but but the Matahar expedition uh, uh, did um, ground penetrating radar. That was the whole expedition, and, and but they for did some that in of three it. different areas and found the labyrinth in all of them. Yeah, well, yeah. You, you'd be there for years trying to map all because it's so big. And but they have in three different sections. They they found it in every section that they, around this pyramid. Like this thing's like you know, a mile. But I mean, we size. should be there like, for it's years. Humongous. Like, like it's, we, we're there. We're at all these other places we for should years. Be. I mean, yeah. you know. We, no, yeah, we, they, we they, as in humanity, they, of course, you know. Well, this, this one guy, Louis de Cordier, was, he kind of personally financed this and he <laughs> partnered up with the Ghent, Ghent University in Belgium to do this thing, to go and, to go and try and find it. So it was always a limited um, scope uh, investigation. And so you have to, the trick is in working, doing this stuff, and everyone's like, oh, you should, I get this a lot from people uh, who watch the videos. They're like, oh, why don't you go there and dig here or look at this or bring these tools? <laughs> you're not allowed to. You can't. If you go to Giza, you you are they they you do you are not allowed to bring any measurement devices. You are not allowed to bring any metal tools. You can't do anything. You, you as a tourist, you you really can't do anything. 
uh, that's part of the rules. And the only way that this is how the this is how access gets controlled to these sites. It's most of these sites are like partnered with the different universities, and and like the British are the ones that work at Giza, and you've got the you know the Germans work at another site, and the French work at another site. At like Saqqara, it's the French, and the and it's their universities and and institutions that then partner with the um, Department of Antiquities in Egypt. And they get the permission to do different things. They've got to run it through them. But part of those deals is always the fact that the department, the antiquities department, kind of controls the release of information. So they're the ones who who decide whether or not what you find gets made public or not, and and when and how. So you know it's very difficult to um, and time consuming and costly to get to do any of this sort of uh, this sort of work. So it was kind of a miracle in the first place that Louis de Cordier managed to get this Matahar expedition funded and approved and, and they went and did the work. But then once he found it, it you know, they, they literally squashed it. They, he had one public lecture at Ghent University and then and literally in, in his report, he, he waited a few years, like 10 years or something, after, and he went to hell with it and he put it out on the internet. It's since been disappeared. You can find it if you go look at the internet archive. The whole website's gone now. But you can find the paper if you look hard enough. And in it, he talks about the fact that he wanted to release it, but then, and he names, I mean, I'm not, I give Zahi a lot of crap in some of my work, but Zahi was literally, he says he threatened the members of that team with national security sanctions, as in, you can never come back to Egypt, we'll arrest you if you do, if you talk about this, um, which is just, you know, crazy. And uh, anyway, so that's, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's the challenge with a lot of this stuff. It's, it's why it's like, yeah, do we have drones? Do we have robotics? Do we have tools and techniques that we could go explore all these things? Yes, but do we do it? No, for some reason. I don't know why, but it's like I could I could probably name a dozen different things that would be non-destructively we could go and explore and probably move the conversation forward easily uh, without hurting a, a damn thing, just using the technology that we've got. Do you think anyone's done so, that or anyone's doing that behind the scenes? <laughs> I, I I think yes, there's been some. I think for sure in certain places there has been, and there's strong evidence for uh, clandestine digs and explorations that have happened that aren't in the public domain. Uh, in particular, you can look at the area around the Sphinx. Uh, and in fact, if anybody wants to learn more about that, you can go and check out Robert Bovile's website. I think it's Robert. It's robertbovile.co.uk, and he lays out quite a timeline of. Um, of sort of uh, explorations in that area that's been going on since the 70s that's been enabled by, you know, Mark Lehner and, and well, in particular, Zahi Uwas, but in, in combination with the Edgar Casey Foundation, which is a whole other can of worms, because, of course, Edgar Casey's the guy that, you know, prophesized the, the, the Hall of Records would be found under the left paw of the Sphinx. And his organisation, I forget the name, ARE, the, uh, I can't remember the acronym for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I think it, I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, they, they've been... Basically, partnering and they they funded Zahi and Lena's educations and you know um, and and college degrees and they still go and lecture at their at their organisation every so often. But but there's a, you can find newspaper articles and, and Bovar's collected all this stuff and, and he shows it like yeah there's so there's been a lot of sort of private explorations and drilling. People think oh then we we we've never really explored or looked under the Sphinx. We have been they've drilled under there a number of times since the seventies. They've been drilling and trying to look for stuff under there. I think. You know the boardwalk in front of the Sphinx has appeared at, at, all of a sudden, and we don't know what's what's underneath that. And it's, I think, yeah, there's a possibility that some of that's been explored, and 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 the public doesn't know. Um, in general, it's not really p 
public knowledge about what excavations are happening where or when it when it happens and when it comes out there's that is that's information that's typically pretty tightly controlled by the authorities uh i will say that the new guy that's in charge of the department of antiquities seems to be uh moving in a really good direction he's opening up more sites i mean they're doing stuff like that they're doing an, another or and more detailed muon scan detection on the great pyramid um some that's been in the news recently they're going to take a much more high resolution look at at these potential voids that they found inside the the great pyramid but yeah it's we don't know i mean but we could for damn sure send more robots up the shafts we can we can solve those problems i mean that that took that took decades and decades and it was mostly because they were just trying to control it like the the, the authorities in egypt were trying to control that stuff um you know there's any number of other shafts i can think of in, in like places like the serapium that that are worthy of of sending some sort of uh, robotic probe down, but we don't we don't seem to want to do any of that. Um, has has the left uh, paw on the Sphinx been, you know, sort of confirmed or debunked or anything? Do you think? Like, what's your opinion on that? Um, so when uh, Robert Boval and John Anthony West did, they scanned. They used ground penetrating radar around the whole Sphinx, and they confirmed the presence of cavities. Yeah, that's what I thought. Now. That, well, they did, and so, but Zahi Kawas and, and, and the, the establishment came out and said, "Well, no, that's just nat- you, all you found is natural cracks in the li- in the in the in the limestone in the bedrock." And then there was a well-publicized exercise where they were drilling down, and Zahi talks about it all the time. They were drilling down beneath the Sphinx, but if you look at it, they drilled down next to the body of the Sphinx. They're not drilling down at the pores, oh. and um, and they didn't drill very far, you know. So. You know, there's, there's also evidence of tunnels that seem to lead off towards the Sphinx, like from the Osiris shaft. So where the Sphinx is, it, it's at the end of the, the causeway. So it's kind of connected to the middle pyramid complex. There's the, 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 the they call it the Hafra, the Kafra uh, pyramid. It's the one with the casing stone still intact on the top. It's the one in the middle. And it's, it's interestingly, it's the most megalithic pyramid. It's the, I think there's a good chance that's the oldest one. Uh, it's the it's like it the most in, it has the most impressive sort of megalithic stonework in on the outside of it, and it it connects to this massive causeway that runs down to the Valley Temple, which is very famous, and then there's the Sphinx is on the left hand side of it, uh, so it's kind of connected to that, and and halfway down this causeway is something called the Giza shaft, uh, the, sorry the um, the Osiris shaft, and we're going to go there. Um, this is a this is a real adventure too. We're going to go there in November. We're going to go back down into the Osiris shaft. And it's three levels. You climb down these ladders and you get down to about 150 feet below the ground into a chamber that's full of water, but there are, there are, there are passages that lead off towards the Sphinx and one towards the pyramid. Like we just, and there, there are passages that we've never explored. We don't know where they go and uh, we don't know what they connect to. So I, I suspect that, yeah, there's a good chance there's something beneath the ground in Giza. There's, there's lots of examples. And also along the causeway, Further down towards the Sphinx, there's because it's it's this huge constructed causeway, right? It's massive and wide, made made of these huge limestone blocks, and in a couple of places, these massive limestone blocks, there's cracks between them. And I showed this in one of these videos. You can you can tip sand into these little cracks, into these little holes, and it disappears. It's like that's crazy. That's like how big does that it would cavity be filled up that eventually. thing have to it be? be? It would be up, filled yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're talking hundreds, if not thousands, of years of, of windblown sand blowing into these cracks, and everyone and their and their brother like tipping sand into it. And, and Yusuf, who's our our guide there, who's about my age, mid forties, 
you know, he says that his dad, who Hakeem Olajuwon, showed him these cracks when he was a little kid, and they was tipping sand into him then, and he's still doing that today. Like, sort of push a bit of sand in. Like, where's it going? Like, wh- what's down there? Like, there's clearly uh, cavities and other tunnels and other spaces below the ground, and for sure, I think that's a possibility for the Sphinx. Um, yeah, Manu Safer's Arda released a good book uh, recently about the Sphinx that that's, might suggest that maybe the Old Kingdom Egyptians, they're the ones who found the Hall of Records, and they took some of that information, and that and it's been replicated and reproduced in certain uh, uh, priesthoods and uh, traditions that 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 he's that they investigate um, uh, throughout the years. So that it may be the case that 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 Hall of Records or that that information might have actually been found in ancient times, and um, some of that information, things like. It seems like there's there's some advanced sort of a celestial knowledge stuff like that, like that you couldn't possibly attribute to the dynastic Egyptians. That seems to show up in, in a few um, a few places that are associated with a particular priesthood. And uh, like he some of the mystery schools, like that, the uh, Egyptian priests. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So on these on these on these wooden sarcophagus and on these like little things that are dedicated to these dead guys or whatever. There's there's some indications that like okay they they're showing you the 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 scope of the solar system and the, the orbits of the planets and all this sort of stuff like it's an interesting book. Um, uh, who did you say that? Who did you say and that was from? It was Manu Seifazada. M A N U. Oh God, I can't spell his last name. But Manu Seifazada. It's um, I think it's called Beneath the Sphinx. Oh, yeah, I'll f- I'll find it. That's fine. That's enough. Yeah. Well, you yeah, kind of uh, he released it. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Darren. Sorry. Well, you kind of teased it, but I guess we could mention that we are we are going to Egypt to crawl down into that we shaft are. and do a bunch of other crazy we shit. Are. We are, yes, yeah. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be a good time. Um, yeah. In fact, we, on this trip, we're also going down into the Sphinx enclosure. So that's one of the, so these trips. I've been doing them every year for the last couple of years, uh, and we'd been talking about doing one together for a while. So it's. You guys, it's me, it's Kyle and Russ, Brothers of the Serpent. Uh, we're going to Egypt. It's in November. And uh, I kind of like to build these trips around special permissions. So one of the nice things about going with a group is that we can do some things that are, are definitely not on the regular tourist track uh, that cost thousands of dollars, but it, having a group allows you to sort of spread that cost out so everybody gets to experience it. And we're doing a number of those. So one of those is the, the Osiris Shaft, which is a special permission. It's not open to the to the public um, another one is is going down into the Sphinx enclosure itself. So this is again, you can't get down there these days. Uh, you can sort of look at the Sphinx from up on the causeway, but you can't actually get down into the enclosure with the Sphinx and look at the erosion on the walls of the Sphinx that's caused all this controversy with Robert Shock and you know I had Randall talking about it recently on a on a podcast. And um, we're getting down in there. We're also doing a, a number of other things like getting into the Assyrian. We we've got a um, a full two hour private uh, visit. Into the um, the Great Pyramid with all of the chambers open, which again you normally won't won't have if you're just going there as a tourist. You can get into the Grand Gallery and the King's Chamber, but you can't get to like the the Queen's Chamber or the Subterranean Chamber. But we'll have all that stuff open. So yeah, it's and and the last couple of years of doing these trips has been fantastic. Like just it's a great time. Kind of a bucket list item, really. Which, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Someone was asked, saying that Egypt was a a bucket list and I was like well one of these tours is the like 
the premium mm-hmm. bucket for your bucket list because it's not just <laughs> rip through some places. You'll be immersed in it and with some people that really know what they're talking yep. about. So do you prefer, is that your favorite one? Because you've been, you've been romping around. I mean, the bros were hinting at me when I talked to them a couple of weeks ago about maybe going to South America here soon. Is that... Is that your yeah. second favorite? I mean, it's your Egypt's clearly your favorite, or is, which is is Egypt your favorite? Tough to say. I mean, you you can't beat Egypt for the um the monuments. You know, it it's it's the, the the sheer number and and size and scope of the of the ancient monuments and mysteries in Egypt is is it is uh, I think one of the premium places to go. But but that said, I absolutely love I was in South America last year as well. I went to Egypt and South America again last year. I've been to both places a number of times. Uh, I love visiting South America and it's just as fascinating. It's a different it's a different style. Like there's uh, you know, and it's like South America, it's also you get to experience places like Cusco and the culture, like the, the modern day culture and you're up in the mountains and it's it's like a different palette almost. Like I almost get even with the videos, I kind of get sick of the desert like the, the the desert colors, and so looking in South America is that that more green and verdant color. It's like there's a whole different um, palette to it almost. Uh, and then you know hanging out in Cusco and places like that are, are, are is amazing in South America as well. But yeah, I mean I'd probably if I've, if if forced to choose, I'd say Egypt's probably my favorite. It's just like because there is just an endless endless list of things to explore, and I always find more and more that I want to go see when I'm down there. And dig in, dig into it deeper, but it's it's close. Like I, I also am just utterly fascinated by like what's in Peru and Bolivia, and for, for that matter, all around the world. There's there's a lot of places I haven't got to yet that I want to get to. India, everyone's always on me about oh, when are you going to get to India again? I'm like, well, let's wait and see how the whole pandemic thing shakes out around the world because Malta and Turkey and you know Lebanon and and there's tons of places, Easter Island that 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 I want to get to, but um. Is yeah, you know, it's just I'm waiting for stuff to kind of open up. Is there a crossover in in your opinion in the tech between used between those sites in South America and the sites in Egypt, or do you think we're looking at two different uh, two different uh, civilizations? Clearly, uh, well, I I I think you're looking at like two different flavors of the same ice cream kind of thing. I think it's um there there's definitely some crossover. And it's not just those sites either. You also have commonalities in in, in uh, Easter Island, uh, Lebanon, at, with uh, at Baalbek, Baalbek, and uh, and stuff in Turkey as well. I think there's, but particularly between South America and and Egypt, you can draw strong strong parallels between, say, the work in the the Corikantia, which is this megalithic church that's in the center of Cusco, uh, very very similar to say the the Valley Temple. Um, in the, the way that the stone is laid out, there's a difference in the scope and the size, uh, but it's it's very similar. And then you have you have other places like the the Menkara pyramid at Giza. It's the third pyramid, the smaller pyramid, but it was cased in granite. The, the granite, the puffiness and the the shape of those stones and the way they've kind of been arranged, very similar to some of the stuff that you see in the streets of Cusco, like Sacsayhuaman. So they're not identical. There's definitely some different. Like Peru has this real unique kind of like flowing shapes to the stones and the way that they've been put together that you don't typically see in Egypt. Egypt's kind of more linear. Egypt there's a lot of like straight lines and straight sharp corners and and specific angles in uh in Egypt versus a lot of stuff in Peru is these very complex curved and compound curved um surfaces. 
and the way these stones are joined together, it's the same. But in, to some extent, you still have it's the same mortalist kind of megalithic stonework. You you have the same the same insistence on kind of the same material. Like this is a very common thing when you look at a lot of this megalithic site. It seems like the builders, whoever built them, went to great lengths to make sure they were using the same type of stone, no matter how far or how difficult it was to transport that. Uh, they were using a, a particular type of stone in a particular area. Uh, that's very much the same. But, you know, there's exceptions in both places, you know. There's a lot of, like, like the Corricantia in, in Cusco is, is, is all straight lines and sharp angles. Uh, and then you've got places like Tiwanaku and Pumapunku in Bolivia, not very far from Peru, uh, part of that sacred valley, that is definitely all straight lines and very precise stonework. I mean, almost... Oh, well, yeah, Bolivia and, and Pumapunku and Tiwanaku is kind of a thing all of its own. It's 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 almost unique in its um the complexity of the stonework that you find down there. That place is really fascinating. I actually think that place more than any other may hold the keys to um to unlocking kind of a, a whole hidden chapters of of civilization on this planet. And I, I don't think enough attention is is paid to you know to to investigating what what actually happened in that site. That's just the H blocks. I spent blocks? a lot of time investigating that site. Is yeah, that it's the, the H, H blocks. Yep, yep. That's where the H blocks are. Yeah. They definitely look precast, eh? They yeah, right. They look they look cast. I mean, that's what they look. But they they're all subtly different, and and they sort of interlock as well. And there's there are places where you can find tool marks there as well. Like you can find saw blade marks and things on them. Um. And it's it's just there's even some evidence there's been some work looking into the andesite material that it's possible that they have been cast. There seems to be some trace of organic material in the andesite, which wouldn't be the case if it was natural andesite being a you know platonic rock. It would have any organic material would have burned up when it was lava. Um, but so it's odd to find organic material. I just think a lot more study needs to be done there, and probably the work of guys like Arthur Poznanski who who. Who gets derided in general, but he he basically discovered and, and excavated that site for some forty years and published on it. Uh, he his a lot of his work gets dismissed, but I think the, I think there's a tremendous amount to be learnt from what he found there. Uh, Why does this get dismissed? In fact, they're really hard to find. Well, because he dates it to like fifteen thousand years old. <laughs> um, oh, okay. It, that's, that's well, one that's, of the reasons, you know. He, I mean, he that's actually, kind of what I was yeah. going to ask you about. Is is like we've had people on the show before that have done a lot of traveling as well, and they've looked at all this, and they kind of came away with a bit of a different sort of less sort of uh, conspiratorial or speculative uh, view of our history. Like they think that there was advanced civilization, but it wasn't advanced way like before the floods or before like uh, antediluvian, mm -hmm. but. But I, I think that, you know, this goes way back myself, I, but I don't have, you know, I haven't traveled around enough to, to really build a super tight opinion on it. But what do you think, like, what would be your speculation of the overall kind of like your overall hypothesis about like how far back this goes? Was it pre-Ice pre Age? Uh, like, is it, uh, you know, advanced cultures traveling all over the earth back then? Different sort of uh, different species or, or races mm -hmm. uh so in this is putting my i i'd firmly put on the whole speculation hat on yeah yeah because well, totally. i don't have these answers but but from looking at i apps i do think that there's a strong chance that when we say antediluvian we're talking pre-younger dryas in particular so pr like which you know so was the this is the fifteen thousand eight hundred nine hundred years ago 
Yeah, so 15,000. But I, I think it's very possible that we've had um, civilizations on this planet that stretched, that, that may have existed long before that as well. Like, like I, I kind of look at the human timeline as an example. Like, we used to think we we're about 40 or 50,000 years old, then it went to 90,000, then it went to 150,000. Then they found some remain, human remains in Morocco that put us back to about 300,000. <laughs> um, some of the genetic. Some of the genetic indicators, you know, for, uh, when we look at our DNA and, and that of Neanderthals sort of show that we we and the Neanderthals may have split from a common ancestor, bet- ancestor between 800 or 900,000 years ago. Um, we also are noticing that, you know, there's all these other subspecies, these hominids, these our cousins, you know. These, we have these, um, the, the Denisovans, the Homo floriensis, the the... All these different types of giants. I mean, you can even that, make an argument for giants. And giants, but they they also seem to have culture and technology. There's a jade bracelet that was made by the Denisovans, the Denisovans that that has a drill hole in it that shows some some advanced tool use. So, when you think about civilization, I think it's entirely possible that it may not have been purely Homo sapiens sapien involved. Like it could have been other other flavors of humanity. That may have had something to do with it, and um, that may have may have been a you know a, a global culture at some point. It certainly seems there certainly seems to be a lot of indicators from that. Not just in like megalithic stonework, right? I, I think there's tremendous evidence written into cultures itself. You, you talked briefly at the start about well, you know, the whole resurrection thing being coming down from the Egyptians into into our religions, but there's 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 a lot more to it than that as well. We have uh, you know you guys. Did the reading of Hamlet's Mill, right? You looked into that book. Like yep. There's significant astronomical data that's encoded into different cultures and religions all around the world that seem to be coming from some common uh, source cultures, come from somewhere. Uh, we now have genetic in, genetic evidence that suggests that our populations were much more intermingled uh, than we'd previously thought. So, exa- for example, we have we have genetic commonalities between the the um, Inhabitants of Australasia and the Aboriginals, uh, and along with the people of South America, a, a commonality that doesn't exist in the peoples of Central or North America, which basically means that you have this connection that ca- that flowed across the Pacific at some point in the past, and that it didn't come through the Northern Land Bridge. You know, they didn't come through that that Northern Land Bridge into North America, then into Central America, then into South America. Like there's there's all this sort of weird. Um, information and points that seem to indicate, all right, something else was going on uh, way back in the day. And, uh, you know, you can look at the information in maps. Like there's all sorts of detailed, um, uh, uh, um, I guess, mapping of the planet and longitude and, and mathematical technology that's invo- in, in, that's, that's, that is present in ancient documents, things like maps, the Puri-Rays map and Orontophineus map. So there's all these indicators of it. And, and I think... To me, it's like the, the the commonality, and what what's happened to us is that we we went through a cataclysm. Like we've just lost our cultural memory, thanks to cataclysm. And I don't know for whatever reason, it's like that's we don't want to admit that it's possible that that our civilization, you know, that our current civilization isn't just. It's not like this is the human civilization. Like we're on this preordained path from, you know, the Stone Age to, as John Anthony West would say, striped toothpaste. But it's rather the case that we're just the latest oscillation of civilization. We're just the latest up and down, you know. And I think, you know, I, I think if we if we all realize that, and and if we could maybe teach that in schools a bit earlier on, and and people realize that, okay, 
humanity and, and civilization itself has risen and fallen in the past and we've had things like cataclysms that are caused by cosmic impacts and whatnot and it can all be wiped out again unless we get our act together and unless we actually do something about it i, I think that message and that that type of a an idea a concept getting into that the whole zeitgeist of civilization it, we might stand a chance of changing our priorities but um you know so far not so much i mean we're still busily fighting wars with each other and worrying about the next election cycle and all the rest of it there's not there seems to be almost less focus about the future than than ever before now but i'd say yeah it's, um, it's, it's yeah i think that that worse <laughs> it's worse in the last 10 years <laughs> yeah yeah sadly i agree it's but i but, mean yeah, it's, I, I think that's it's better and worse because there's more people like you out there too that are that are interesting more people. So there's like it's kind of like a little of mo- both. There's more people in the matrix, but there's also more people pulling out. I don't know. Yeah. More people should pull out. We'd be in a right. better place. Like ninety five percent of these fuckers should have been pulled so out. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Or swallowed. Well, it, that's that's I think that's the. Yeah, it's like the power of the internet. I, I, it's that, it's that weird double. It's like sometimes I, and coming from a background of technology, I sometimes think it's technologies where it's in a race with itself. Like some part of it's attempting to free us, and then the other parts attempting to enslave us. It's like there's we don't. I'm not sure which one's going to happen fully yet. It's like technology and the media and 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 the internet and the way that we communicate now is so. So and and our techniques for doing this stuff is is so effective, you know. It's it's incredibly effective. It's about sucking people into that matrix. Like if you just listen to mainstream media and you and you think what you're told by the mainstream media, but at the same time, and they're fighting hard against this now. But at the same time, that that same those same platforms and that same technology gives people the ability to break free of all of that. Like if they only go and look and listen to the right in, in the right places. Uh, you can you can snap out of it. So I don't know which one's going to happen first, but I think it, it ends up in that result of well, the, the no agenda thing, right? It's like the two universes. It's it's almost a case of that. It's and I keep having this faint of, hope. It all comes that, to you through the same pipe. <laughs> yeah, and I keep having this faint hope that that the, that if if it's if this paradigm is built on lies and and propaganda, that it that it can't sort of metaphysically survive. Like that there'll be some power that's good against that you know that just won't let that happen like you can't let the planet be enslaved by lies you know if it was i don't know i just i have this hope that maybe people will awaken and it'll it'll reach this this tipping point where you know it their sort of house of cards will crumble but man it's uh it's uh, i don't know which way it's gonna go I would argue history. Well, I mean, the unfortunate thing is that history shows yeah. us that this is the anomaly. For yeah, like ninety nine point nine percent of our history, <laughs> we've been fucking enslaved <laughs> with a lot mm-hmm. less freedom than we yep. enjoy today. But I well, mean, and a lot more freedom in a lot of ways lot. too. But the interesting thing that I like is being around for that um, the cross of the crossroads of freedom and technology where you can, because like even a hundred years ago, the chances of us going to Egypt and South America and the Azores in your lifetime are slim to none. You know, you might get one of those if you're lucky and it's going to take you six months to do it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I wouldn't want to live in any other period of time. Like I'm not, yeah, 
I, I think it's an incredible time to be alive. We have, we live like the kings of old, no matter what people's. I mean, just we we have unimaginable access to a lifestyle that's just been unheard of for almost for like ninety nine point whatever percent of of all humans that have ever lived before us. Like, good time to be alive. Interesting set of challenges, but still a good time to be an actual human walking around on the planet. You know. At least in this oscillation. Flushing toilets is not to be underestimated. <laughs> and bidets, bro. I'm telling you. In this oscillation, yeah. I just oh, got... Hey, I'm oh. on board. I heard you say that. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I can't say enough good that things tweet, about like... a bidet. I can't say enough good <laughs> things about a bidet. There's no going back. I'm thinking about buying one for, my, for the office, for my day job, because I'm just like, I can't shit here anymore. I put... <laughs> you, know, you know what? how I figured that? Egypt. They have what's called, and you'll figure this out when we go to Egypt. All the toilets there have, like, they're quote unquote Muslim toilets, and they all have a little valve, and like it's built into the bowl. There's a little squirter, and you just turn a little tap on the side, and uh, it's like the first trip to Egypt. I'm like this is a revelation, and ever since then, it's just like 2015 or something. And ever since then, I'm like they're on all the toilets in this house. And I soon I saw your tweet. You're like bidets. That's all. Like that was the tweet. I'm that's like, it. That's damn the tweet. right. I've been yeah. I've been preaching this. I've been preaching the same thing to people. I'm like you know. Here's what I tell people when they're like, like, if you have a beard, you know, <laughs> when they're like, really, bro, a, really, that seems kind of fucked up. And I'm like, okay, just picture this. You've got to go pick some poop off off the floor <laughs> with your bare hands. Okay. A couple mm-hmm. handfuls of poop, mm-hmm. put it in the garbage. You walk over to the counter, you got two options. There's a sink there or there's just a roll of toilet paper. What are you going for? <laughs> That's a good way to put it. You're going for the sink yeah. every time. That's and here's the other thing. Put it. Is it also just gets away from having that like dried up paper on your asshole all the time. But where does Little it where does it go though? Flakes. Like where does it go? Yeah. Like does it splash anywhere? Or like I where does it all where does the mess go? It's washes down off. into the bidet. It just gets flushed down to the bidet. It washes it like, down. It just washes off. The you one still, I you have. Still wipe after. You still wipe. You just dry up. <laughs> and if there's a little poo on it, you all give it another squirt. Yeah. <laughs> It's, uh, it's, mm-hmm. I'm telling you, this is, this is the next time you're over here, you oh, take yeah. mine for a test drive, Graham. All right. We'll do. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I cannot yeah. wait to go to Egypt. Bit, I tell people. <laughs> I cannot ahead, wait to go to Egypt. Uh, I mean, we're, it seems so far away at one time, but I mean, the kids are getting excited now. They were just saying the other day, it's like, wow, it's only. We're down to like nine months or eight months away till we're out of here. Might even be down mm-hmm. to almost seven months until we're until we're going. Yep. So I mean, well, people are going to ask if there's tickets yep. available still. Well, technically there, there is. There are so there. So there is the registrations are full, but the, you, you uh, it's it's people register. The the way to secure a, a seat is to pay the deposit. Like we've um, just something I've learned from previous trips is like. We'll keep accepting registrations, and it's essentially first come, first serve on who actually wants to pay the deposits uh, to do it. Because in previous years, we've had people like, "Oh, we'll register," and then you know you don't have to come down till a month before the trip leaves, and they're like, "Well, okay, we're not, we're not gonna, we're not gonna pay the the the, the deposit or the money." And then it's like, "Oh, we're scrambling around because it's been sold out for six months, and now you know we're three weeks out, and I've got to, we've got to like, hey, there's a bunch of seats available. So uh, this time around, we're like, if if you you want to you you can register and you can get in touch with Ildi, ask all the questions and do all and figure it all out. All of the details, the trip itinerary, uh, the full details are on my website, unchartedx.com/tour. Uh, all the pricing, all the details, and if you just and there's a registration link uh, is there as well. 
And um, you once you get in touch with Ildi, she'll help you with all of the the questions and stuff. But yeah, we've we've it's basically we're gonna until people have you know everybody's paid um, uh, deposits. That's the point where we'll actually start a wait list. But we still at this point still have a few tickets left. I think there's there might be uh, yeah ten or fifteen slots at least available at this point. Um, I mean, there's plenty of re- registrations uh, other than that, but that's from a deposit perspective. I think that's we've got a we've got a bunch of seats still available. Nice. It'll be a good trip. Um, oh, it's going to be amazing. I mean, yeah, I can I personally, I can personally vouch for at least half of the pe- people that have signed up because it's um, over half people that we've traveled with before. So they've either traveled with Ben yep. or they've Looking traveled with the bros and us, or they've done a contact at the cabin. So, and I mean, we've met, we, so we've met over half of these people. If you're going to do a bucket list Egypt trip, you might as well do it with like 60 of the coolest people. I mean, friends for life. You'll have friends for yeah. life. Yeah, it'll be it'll be great. And having Yusuf there as well, he's just like, he's the only guy I'd recommend to to show you around these things that I can just, trust me, the Nile cruise is going to be epic. Like, I, I love that part of it. This is probably my favorite part of the tour is we spend four nights on a on a cruise ship going down the Nile. And it's just, yeah, it's it's really cool. Uh it's uh, it's it's a good time, and like I said, it's a it's a bucket list thing. We we definitely hit the highlight, hit 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 a lot of the sites, and um, the special permissions make it kind of kind of really special. Thing you, you get to do some stuff that uh, almost everybody else that goes to Egypt won't won't get to do. You won't ever feel it. like you'll have to go back if that's possible. You know, if like <laughs> you won't be like, oh man, you know, should I go to the here or should I go to here? We're probably going to both. So so you're good. Check out the tour. I mean, Ben. Uh, it's been fantastic this last year getting to know you and getting to travel yeah. with you, and I'm looking forward to seeing you at least four more times this year, maybe five, yeah. and uh, yep. and we're just warming up. So where can people find all of your stuff? Uh, UnchartedX.com is the main site. That's got a link to all of my videos, uh, everything else. Uh, all of my socials are on there as well. Uh, otherwise, all of my videos are on the Uncharted X YouTube channel. You can just go to YouTube, search for Uncharted X. You'll find it, or it's youtube.com slash C slash Uncharted X. Those are the main ones. I'm pretty. I'm reasonably active on, on, the, on the socials these days. I am on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram as well. Also Mastodon these days. So, uh, yeah, all of those links are on the website. Fantastic! It's uh, I'm I'm on the Twitter too. I get myself into trouble on there. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's a problem. But I mean, yeah. Ben, it's been. I, we really love your stuff. We really love the channel. I mean, you you talk about Yusuf. I would say that uh, you and the Bros are on that list for a lot of people as well as people that uh, they'd Thank love you. to go to Egypt with and point out this and that. I know I've recommended your channel to a bunch of people. I mean, as heard on the Joe Rogan Experience, the biggest show <laughs> in the history of the world. Um, so I think it's honestly, I think it's just a matter of time until he, I, mean, I, I picture Joe watching your videos. I just, I feel like he's watching. It's just a matter <laughs> yeah, of time well, until he drags you on that show. Maybe you never know. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> All right, Ben. Uh, huge thanks for coming thanks. on the show. And if we don't yep. see you here in April, we'll see you in uh, in June for sure. June for sure. Yeah, I'll get in touch with you about the April thing. Sounds good to me though. I'm I'm on board. I think. It's a, it's uh it's an amazing trip. So yeah, let's uh let's get you out to that for sure. Cool. Okay, well, thank Ben. You, Graham, Darren. Thanks, buddy. Cheers, guys.
Yeah, good to see you. Thanks for coming on the yeah, show. Keep uh, cracking yeah, out fantastic videos. Cheers. Thanks, Ciao. And that was our chat with Ben from the Uncharted X podcast. What do you think, buddy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. I love it. He's just one of those great people, too. You know, it's one of those. It's like uh, they say don't meet uh, your heroes. But when you get into the podcast world, they're all super cool. Yeah, totally. You know, like all the yeah. people that we we um, were like eager to meet when we first started out and that we've met along the way have all been super cool. Yeah, and his videos, like, I mean, I saw just recent one. I mean, he, he has, you know, a couple hundred thousand subscribers, maybe at least, but his videos are getting four times the amount of views than he has subscribers. So, you know, he, he just comes across very authentic. His, his stuff is just so just sort of natural. It comes natural to him. I think, you know, he's just talking from an open heart and an open mind and, and it's just fantastic. I think he's up to like 240,000 now. I know, but his like latest video had to like, at least double that. I think. Yeah, or like and usually it's the other way around. Usually the views are like a fifth of your subscribers. So, or like ours, you're like a third, or like a thirtieth of your subscribers. Mm-hmm. People just go subscribe and never go back. But we're not a YouTube show. We're supposed to be found on YouTube, and then you migrate over and listen to the podcast. Actually, That's the last right. the last show didn't go to YouTube. I, I haven't investigated why. Oh boy. So, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> we won't be on time. Out. No way. And you know which one it was. It was the one on the alternative health care. I mean, that's the one that we shouldn't have really done in that feed. Oh, they just blocked it right out of the gate, you think? Oh, my God. Yeah, they probably did. That was the one that we really should have done in Outlawed, but we wanted to give it a chance in studio and all that. And oh, my God. Yeah. Sons of bitches. Anyway, yeah. big thanks to Ben for coming on the show. Head over to his stuff, subscribe to his YouTube channel. Uh, head over to contact at the cabin.com. If you want to jump on to one of these trips coming up this in April, it sounds like he's coming. He's coming in June. He's coming in September. And of course, head over to his website, check out the Egypt trip. If you want to go to Egypt with him as well. Uh, I couldn't recommend it enough. I can't wait to go. I'm uh, super excited. The kids are super excited and, uh, it's going to be a great trip. I mean, even just the stars at night, it's just going to be fucking amazing out on that Nile. Wow. Be a great trip. Uh, if you want to check out the Ronald Carlson stuff, like I said, all that stuff's over at contactatthecabin.com. If you want to get on a trip, uh, adultbrain.ca. If you want to check out all the audiobooks we've been doing, or you could just type Graham Dunlop or, you know, into Audible, it'll all pop up. I think we got 50, 52 out now. The- Speaking of Egypt, Ancient Egypt, Light of the World, Volume 1. It's 33 hours. Eight. The first eight books from Gerald Massey is now out. That's right. It's it is. It's thirty three hours long. Uh, History of the Supernatural Volume One will be coming out right away. Combined works of Charles Fort. There's an insane amount of books there. Go to adultbrain.ca. You click on the link at the top. That'll say our books on Audible. They'll all pop up there, and uh, you can check all that out. And grimeamerica.ca slash support if you guys are getting a little value from the show uh, it's more important than ever that you support it. It's getting uh, everything's getting more expensive these days. Uh, grandamerica.ca slash support we understand it's tough but we uh, can't we can't do the show without supporters like you so if you are a supporter we love you we couldn't do this without you thank you very much if you're not maybe you can head over this week grandamerica.ca slash support sign up for that monthly even if it's a buck or two a month that's that's you know it all helps if all the listeners oh, yeah, it helps me it helps me do this from home now uh, as a day job like I have to you know I no longer work maybe I can not work job. one day uh, yeah, exactly 
it, it all helps. If everyone gave a buck a month, we'd never have to work. So uh, we'd be laughing, but most people don't. If you want to check out our other podcasts, over to grimericaoutlaw.ca. There's a whole other podcast over there. It's episode 74 or 75 or something like that. You can check all that out, grimericaoutlaw.ca. Uh, different topics over there, using the more conspiratorial type stuff. Check that out. I think that's about it. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Teach me all your secrets to get a good handle on a better way to live. How does one get out of bed every day in the throes of the apocalypse? Should I bury my head in the sand or sabotage their evil plan? I feel really trapped. An ant burned by a magnifying glass. It's all a little bit too convenient. All the evidence went up in flames. Phonies, fraudsters, scammers belong in the slammer. My friend, best give up their names. Should I call on militia man or pass out a petition pen? I feel really trapped. An ant burned by a magnifying glass. I don't know what y'all been told, but I got a soul made out of gold. Sound off. One, two. Sound off. Three, four. Cadence count. One, two. A big ball! Some time ago, a crazy dream came to me. I dreamt I was walking into World War III. That's prophetic as humanity. Animals. Sophia wrote it down, built an ark, now she floats it down the river in dark. As prophetic as deja vu, as wormwood, as falling stars above. Sophia wrote it down, built an ark, now she floats it down the river in dark. I can't even hear my own thoughts for the life of me over the din of a bruised and broken culture the media spins and splatters and spins and clatters and i cringe because it's psychological warfare don't you feel yourself getting really mad how did we let it get this bad don't you feel really trapped like a brain in a vet to close Pandora's box but sirens are singing me off a cliff I'm looking to hitchhike to Shangri-La over yonder Sophia would you give me a lift hopped out of the Hegelian rebellion say goodbye to all you Machiavellians let evil destroy itself I'm bound for Shangri-La Shangri-La My dream if I could be in yours As prophetic As morning doves As groundhogs As falling stars above Sophia wrote it down Built an ark Now we're floating it down A river dark As prophetic As white wolves As butterflies As rainbows
flight above a river 